All right, welcome back, ARC Party listeners. This is the third of six of my archive episodes of the Lit Reactor podcast, Unprintable. Uh, because Lit Reactor is closing down later this year, I just wanted to find a place to host uh, the handful of episodes that I hosted for that website. So uh, we've done a few already. There was an interview with S.A. Cosby. There was an interview with Alma Katsu. And there was my um, episode where we talked about conducting reviews of books. So if you have not listened to those, go back and check those out. All very good conversations. Uh, In this episode, Michael David Wilson from This Is Horror joins me, as well as Brian Keane, who is a well-known author who also has had his own um, podcast in the past, several different uh, iterations of podcasts, and has just recently announced that um, him and his wife are opening a bookstore, which is pretty cool. Uh, both of those fellows join me to talk about the art of conducting interviews because they've both had a show of some sort over the years. Uh, it was nice to have them on to talk, to dig into the the kind of mechanics of what it takes to conduct an interview, uh, the do's, the don'ts, um, best practices, uh, some experiences that we've had over the years. Uh, it's just a great way to peek behind the curtain of, to see what it takes to conduct an interview, what kind of care goes into making sure that an interview goes well. Um, and I couldn't think of two better people to do it with. So without further ado, here is my Lit Reactor Unprintable podcast episode about interviews with Michael David Wilson and Brian Keene. All right. Thanks, everybody, for coming back for another episode of Unprintable, the Lit Reactor podcast. I am your host, Rob Olson. Much like a previous episode where we we did a discussion with Sadie Hartman and Becky Spratford about uh, doing book reviews, this episode focuses on the art of conducting an interview. We go over our philosophies of how to conduct a good interview. We talk about some of our standout moments from our, our history of, of conducting interviews, uh, some of our favorite things that have happened, some crazy things that have happened, and give advice to people out there who are either just starting out uh, with interviews or looking to hone their craft if they've already been conducting them. Joining me today are author and podcaster Brian Keene, as well as author and podcaster Michael David Wilson. Brian Keene, for a long time, had uh, the horror show with Brian Keene, and Michael David Wilson is best known for his podcast, This Is Horror. So again, uh, an episode chock full of horror experts. I don't know if there's something to that. Anyway, without further ado, here's the discussion about interviews with me, Brian Keene, Michael David Wilson. All right, to kick it off, I thought we would just do a little introduction really quick and, and let everybody who's listening know um, what our experience is with, with being a person who conducts interviews. So, um, Brian, if you wouldn't mind kicking us off, uh, tell, tell everybody a little bit about um, you and, and your experience with being a person who interviews people. Yeah, absolutely. Um you know, I guess primarily most people are going to think of me in conjunction with the Horror Show with Brian Keene podcast, which ran for just six years, barely six years, uh, technically like five years and 11 months or something like that. Uh, but, you know, during that time, we we interviewed uh, a large number of uh, creatives in the horror genre, uh, authors, actors, editors, Etc. Um, but even before that, you know, for my entire career, I've been I've been writing for over twenty years now. And you know, during that time, I would interview people for you know Cemetery Dance or Hell Notes or the Horror Writers Association newsletter. So ever since I've 
I've been writing, I've, I've been involved in interviewing in some way. And just out of curiosity, so you, you have experienced, I'm guessing then both in written and, and spoken kind of interviewing. Oh yeah. Like, cause I have to imagine, and maybe this will come up later that there's probably quite the difference in the, in the two approaches to, to conducting an interview. Um, great. Well, thank you. And, and Michael, um, why don't you do the same? Yeah, so most people will know me from This Is Horror podcast, which has been going since February 2013. So next year is quite exciting because it's going to be the 10-year anniversary and it will probably coincide with episode 500, so a bit of a double whammy celebration. And before This Is Horror, though, I was working in music journalism, mostly heavy metal journalism for the magazine Terrorizer. So perhaps the most interesting guest, the most interesting interview was Vinnie Paul of Pantera. So it was a much different experience doing that because typically the This Is Horror podcast, we're doing them over Skype, but that one was going to a bar and drinking some whiskey and talking to Vinnie Paul, which... It was certainly an experience. And again, before This Is Horror, I did various interviews for horror magazines such as Scream Magazine in the UK. And it was really just seeing that there's this tremendous appetite for, you know, the the audio form, uh, the podcast form of interviews that led to me reaching out and creating This Is Horror. It was, in fact your former podcast, Booked Podcast, that was one of the influences. It was Booked Podcast, Geek's Guide to the Galaxy, and Horror, etc. And I thought, well, I enjoy all of those, but there's a bit of a, a gap for horror interviews with authors. And that is what I did. I filled the gap, and apparently I'm still filling it. because <laughs> you know, We're continuing to this day. <laughs> um, awesome. Uh, and... I, I honestly, like when I was, before we got on this call, I was thinking to myself, do I put myself first or do I put myself, you know, in the end? Cause like, I, I don't, I don't see myself as, as being as established as, as the two of you gentlemen, but I guess I, I did it this way. So I'll, I'll talk for the listeners a little bit about, and Michael, you alluded to it. Um, for 10 years, I did, uh, the podcast booked and, um, we ended on episode 540. So you're a little bit, you're dragging. You're dragging, Michael. Yeah. <laughs> uh, 10 years, 540 episodes. Um, but uh, in that time, it was primarily book reviews, uh, but I also did conduct um, interviews. So I did the math on it, and I probably did about 100 interviews over the course of a decade. And, um, you know, obviously there was repeats and stuff. So I probably talked to you about 80, 80 different individuals. And so that's my... Uh, it's the lion's share of my experience with conducting interviews wasn't the primary focus, like obviously Michael. And I know that, um, Brian for you, um, was it generally, there was always some sort of guest on your podcasts, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. So that was, that was pretty straightforward. Like, and I'm realizing now that I'm doing an entirely different format of a podcast, that it was a lot easier to schedule a book than a person. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, but that's, that's my experience with, with, uh, interviewing was, um, was through that. And so it was all, I don't think I really did anything other than, uh, on, on booked. Um, and yeah, like it's, it's a, 
it's a kick. So I, I thought that one of the interesting things, and Michael, you mentioned um, your your Pantera experience, but I thought maybe we could talk about uh, in the beginning just some of the favorite interviews we've had, either if it's like a person that you've always you know, hope to talk to you, or if it was just a conversation that really stood out as, as something that, um, was really special to you. So I know it's kind of putting you on the spot, but, um, Brian, do you have anything that comes to mind? I mean, I have a couple. Um, the, the first interview I ever conducted in this business was with Richard Lehman. It was in 1999. It was for a, a very early days website called, uh, masters of terror. Uh, that was based out of the UK, run by a, a gentleman named Andy Fairclaw. And uh, he's like, you're in the US, you're going to World Heart Convention, interview Richard Lehman. And for listeners who don't understand, Richard Lehman is, is a god to me. He He's on Brian's Mount Rushmore of horror. There, there's a, yeah. a Richard Lehman face up there. Um, I'd never met the man. I'd, I'd never spoken to the man. Before this convention, the only writer I'd ever met was Joe R. Lansdale. Um, you know, in person. So I showed up and I think I asked Lehman two questions and the rest of the time just fanboyed on him. And, you know, the interview never got yeah. published, but, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I, I began a, a, a deep friendship with, with Dick Lehman out of that. Um, but as far as the horror show goes, and, you know, that's where the meat of my work was. I think there are two. Uh, Jack Ketchum, uh, real name Dallas Mayer, but anyone who's a reader knows him as Jack Ketchum. Uh, we did one of the very last interviews with him, and uh, he knew he was dying. I knew he was dying. The public did not know he was dying. And, uh, you know, he told me, he said, I, I, I'd like to do an interview. And I said, well, yeah, you know, uh, come up to the room. And, and we didn't really have anything in mind to talk about. I, I didn't want to do, you know, one of those interviews, like let's talk about the creation of the girl next door. I didn't want to ask him the same things that people have always asked him. And I, I knew there were some things that people never seemed to ask him about that he really wished they would. Like, uh, you know, he was Henry S. Miller's agent. He was Philip K. Dick's agent for a while. You know, these are things nobody knew. Um, he was Lady Gaga's English tutor when she was in high school. <laughs> wow. Um, so that's the kind of stuff we talked about. And he was, he was so grateful afterward. He was so tickled. And uh, I love that that conversation is out there forever. It, even after I'm gone, it'll still be out there. So that, and uh, for the 200th episode of the show, we did something different. We had my, my young youngest son interview me. He's now 13. I think he was nine or 10 at the time. Um, but he interviewed his old man after 199 episodes of his old man interviewing other people. And again, I love that that is out there forever that, you know, when he's my age and he has children of his own, he can go back and listen to it if he wants to, you know, that's pretty incredible. It's interesting because based on, on the person you're talking to, the insights that they have into you and the questions that they think to ask are, are are so entirely different. And I have to imagine that someone who like is family or like, you know, your son in this case, um, was, was it, were there questions, was it, did the interview go the way that you were kind of expecting it to, or was it pretty uh, unexpected? I mean, it, 
it went the way I expected it to. Keep in mind, you know, we recorded in a home studio and he was often in the background. Occasionally he'd, he'd make an impromptu appearance on the show, but he was always there listening. Um, so he kind of knew the tone of the show already, but what surprised me was the the insight to some of his questions. It, it was my first inkling that, hmm, I think the kiddo might be leaning towards being a writer when he grows up. Uh, and sure enough, now, it, you know, he, he starts high school this fall. Uh, and, you know, he, he's looking, starting to think about college and things. And sure enough, he wants to be a writer. But he also has the presence of mind from growing up in that environment to know that he needs to get a day job. Um, that, that, that it's incredibly difficult to make a living as a writer. So he's he's picking his primary thing that he wants to go to college for, and his secondary is going to be writing. And and so the the insight that he had then and the insight he has now it, it surprises me in a good way. That's uh, I don't know why that reminds me of, and I could be misattributing this, but I think it was Kurt Vonnegut that said something like, "If you want to be a writer." don't go to school for writing or something like that. Like be, be an accountant or something like yeah. that. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> um, that's awesome. And I, I guess I, I should have, I should have prepared the listeners for this, but um, this is, this is, we got some horror heavies uh, on this, uh, on this episode for anybody who doesn't know, Brian, you write horror and you, and you are very much in the, in the horror genre. Is it almost exclusively? No, no. Uh, I, I mean, it's, Look, I've written and published, I think, 65 books at this point. <laughs> Primarily, most of them are horror. Yes, it's it's what I'm known for. It's it's what the vast majority of my readers are here for. Uh, but I also do, uh, I think, a considerable amount of nonfiction. Um, and, you know, I've done a few crime novels. Uh, I've done four, I call them sword and sorcery. No, excuse me seven sword and sorcery novels. People say they're called grim dark. I guess that's the new millennial term. I don't, I don't know anything about that. I'm just getting my Conan on, you know, <laughs> but, but uh, yeah, but you know, I, I don't shy away from the horror label. I love the genre. I'm a fan of the genre. Um, you know, if that's what you want to see me as awesome, you know, <laughs> right on. Well, yeah, it's at least a, a big aspect of, of the overall you. Um, I, it's funny because when I, the reason I, the reason I'm even bringing it up is because when I did my, uh, recent episode about reviewing books, Sadie Hartman is very focused on horror as a genre. And then Becky Spratford, the librarian, um, is, is essentially like the library resource in the world for, for horror, so uh, it's just funny that I keep pulling, you know, multiple horror people together for, for their expertise on stuff. I mean, there must be something behind that, I guess. is Because we're the that. best, right, Michael? That's, yeah, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> or the most enthusiastic or something. It's got to be. Yeah. Um, so, Michael, uh, you, you mentioned one of the interviews you got to do before, but is there any other kind of standout, um, either bucket list kind of ones or, or ones that you thought were just... You know, and we'll, I'm not going to allow you to exclude the episodes that I was on from, because, you know, just because I knew you were going to mention them. So obviously you can skip over that. Uh, but anything else that, that you think is a real standout thing for you? Okay. Well, skipping over the episodes with you, Rob, and the episode with Brian, let's jump <laughs> into when I spoke with Chuck Paulinick 
And I mean, that really is the standout episode for me because not only was he someone who I was reading a lot, particularly in my university years and really influenced my aesthetic and my love for the genre and that kind of dark social commentary, but also I knew in terms of the profile, in terms of the readership that he has, that I would get far more listeners and there would be people who'd never even heard of this as horror <laughs> tuning in because I believe also at the time for that book, he put out an episode with the Tim Ferriss show and then this is horror. And it's like, shit, if there's only two podcasts interviewing him, then I'm going to get a lot of people tuning in. So I thought I have to prepare for this interview. Like I have never prepared for an interview. So I, pretty much read every single book that he put out in in the space of a few weeks. Um, there was some audiobook consumption as well to make sure that I could actually physically do that yeah, in no time. <laughs> and yeah, I mean, every person I talk to, I do research them. I do read other interviews that they've done and I try and pull out bits that other people haven't really followed up on, things that seem innocuous. But for Chuck, there were just pages of potential questions and areas. And I even dove a little bit into, you know, the, the art of the interview and how to conduct a good interview, make sure that I sharpen my craft in that way. Because I do think, you know, this is a craft. And I would say that it was a very good interview. It was probably the best one that I've done, and I've got good feedback for it. So all of that hard work paid off. And, I mean, it, it was a surreal experience because it's not only a person who I hugely admire, but a person who's going to get more listeners to my podcast. So it really had to count. And, yeah, it looks like... <laughs> It worked out okay. So if people are listening to this and they haven't heard an episode of This Is Horror, then start with Chuck Paulinick. It's a great interview. It is. Yeah, it is. It Thank is really you. Good. I would say that um, the one that was the biggest surprise for me was the David Duchovny one, um, uh, mostly because of the, the way it came about. Uh, we reviewed one of his books. During the review, said... David, if you want to come on and talk to us, email us and said the email address in, in, in that way where when you say something that you absolutely know will never happen, right. that's, you know, we said it with that kind of attitude. Um, and then like a month later, get an email and um, basically between the time that we got the first email saying, hey, I listen and, and I would like to come on and actually hearing him pick like get on to the call when we started doing the interview we were convinced it was someone just doing some real elaborate prank <laughs> because it was like why the fuck would david duchovny care to talk to us but um he's he's a very well educated um he's educated in in writing in english and and writes a pretty damn good book so uh was, that was really cool but i think for me the the standout part of it was just like it was so like weird and unexpected so if anybody out there is listening to this who does their own podcast or you know whatever i i've i've discovered that the the best way to get what you want is just ask always ask regardless of if you think it's just 
an impossible ask, just go for it. Because that, that was a lesson I learned big time by just on a goofball moment saying, Hey, David, email us if you want to come on the podcast. Well, that and, and the other takeaway is never assume that nobody is listening. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I, the horror show, it was, you know, there was the interview aspect, but there was also the aspect of us just being clowns. And, you know, I would pop off at the mouth and make a joke about somebody and never in a million years would I think that person's listening to the show because, you know, they're a giant in the field. And then I'd get an, uh, you know, an email. Hey, I laughed. That was funny. Or, hey, I didn't think that was funny. at all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's absolutely true. You never know. Like uh, for, for the Duchovny thing, apparently he had just Googled whatever, you know, the book was Miss Subways. And I, I don't know, he was just looking it up on Google and saw podcasts and he yeah. decided to listen to it. So it was a total lark. But yeah, like that's a, that's a very good point. You never know who is listening. Um, so yeah, try it. And, and yeah, I don't know, like, but I, I wouldn't let that kind of temper your voice, just the worrying no. that like you're going to hurt a feeling or something like that. The one I thought that was, uh, the most personally satisfying for me was when we got to talk to Stephen Hall, the author of the raw shark texts, uh, and recently Maxwell's demon. Um, I've been kind of obsessed with that book for, you know, since I read it in like the late two thousands. And so having the ability to like finally speak to the author and it's such a complicated book, um, was very satisfying and having him basically confirm that my theory of what the book is about is like the close is, is one of the closest he's, he's heard, made me feel pretty, <laughs> pretty, pretty satisfied. Um, so yeah, that was a nice one too. Um, but yeah, like uh, some of them are just like, you have someone that you're, you just love talking to, or is this easy to talk to? And those, those end up being some of the best conversations too. Cause there's no, none of that jitters when I talk to Duchovny, much like David or, or Michael, excuse me, like you said, um, your, your preparation that you did, for Chuck Palahniuk was insane because you don't want to fuck that one up. You want it to be as good as possible. That was me with Duchovny. I, between confirming it and doing the interview was like a week and a half. And I was on a trip from, I live near Chicago and I was down in Texas uh, doing something work related. And so in that, in that short time, I had two books I needed to read and then all the other prep. Plus I had to do the stuff that my, I had carved out for my own life. So all of a sudden, I was, I was like audio booking on the drive everywhere and stuff. So I, I feel you, <laughs> I feel you with that. <laughs> We're going to get into the mechanics of, of because Mike, Michael, you're, you're bringing up awesome stuff, but um, kind of related question that I had um, related to like your, your favorite interviews was maybe, was there a standout moment or an experience or something unexpected that happened ever in an interview that, that <laughs> so and I'll, I'll give some examples to give you some time. I've had several times in the course of the decade that I was conducting interviews where um, crimes were confessed <laughs> uh, in a way that either they asked me to cut it out or um, we had to stop and say, look, I don't know how serious you are, but if you need this to not be on the podcast, please let us know because, you know, X, Y, Z. So um, definitely I've had several instances with different people where some serious crimes were talked about. And I was like, kind of worried about how this was going to play or they were worried about, Oh shit, I shouldn't have said that. So does anything come to mind for either of you guys like that? Hell yeah. Um, and Michael, I'll give you some more time to think of, cause I, 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 
I've got dozens, but I'll, I'll pick my favorite. Uh, the very first year of the podcast, I had just gotten divorced and hadn't gotten a new home yet. Uh, I had elected to stay in an apartment complex for a year, you know, get some money put together. So we were recording out of my kitchen, uh, Dave and I, and <laughs> there were literally some meth heads who lived in the apartment right next door. They they were they were harmless. They were kind hearted. They were they were the good kind of meth heads. If you're gonna have meth heads living next to you, these are, these are the guys you want. But you know they were like uh, the characters from Breaking Bad. You know Jesse and Skinny Pete and Badger. I mean that's who these guys were. And it's very hot in the apartment in the summer, and we would leave the kitchen windows open while we were recording. And it was nothing for them to just stop by the screen and hey, what are you doing? You know when <laughs> we're in the middle of recording. <laughs> And the first time it happened, you know, Dave's over there engineering and he's got this look on his face and he writes down on a pad, should I, should I stop? And I'm like, no, absolutely not. Leave this in. <laughs> um, and we did. And they became recurring characters in that first season uh, to the point where the, you know, the, the big finale for that year was their water had been shut off because they hadn't paid the bill. And in the middle of an episode... <laughs> I can't remember who the guest was that week, but they come up to the screen with a bucket. Hey, yo, can we borrow some water so we can flush our toilet? And I'm like, sure. Come on. <laughs> and this is all happening live on the uh, air. Wow. Um, and I go back and I listen to those. and I just, I still howl with laughter. It's just, it's, it's surreal and real and unplanned. And it just made for great radio. You know? <laughs> that's awesome that's amazing well we've had people confess to things which obviously i can't <laughs> repeat <laughs> i mean they didn't say that i couldn't repeat it on another podcast but i do feel that that was implicit <laughs> in the cutting it from my own one it's the it's the confidentiality loophole right I think. right right one bizarre moment was we had a guest that was a little nervous to be on the show and they had their partner sitting next to them but often i would ask a question and then their partner would whisper an answer to them or like would whisper a suggestion as to what they might want to say to that and it's like they're not aware that i can completely hear this the audio is being caught on my end I think I was just too polite throughout the entire thing to draw attention to it. So then in the editing, had to cut their partner out of it. Otherwise, it would be too surreal. But I think it was back in the day when I was co-hosting with Dan Howarth. And both of us are thinking, what the fuck is going on here? And I don't know, that happened. And another moment... Bob's apartment, my my current co-host, it's uh, it's not so soundproofed. You probably know where I'm going with this. And he had uh, a couple of uh, enthusiastic neighbors when fucking and true enough for one podcast. They just really fucking went at it. So Bob had to mute his microphone for pretty much the duration of the conversation. So... I mean, but perhaps not as good as a meth head actually popping in and being part of the show, but it, it was as much as the soundproofing in 
Bob's apartment could master. So, yeah, I, that's... I don't know. For, for me personally, I know a lot of people get annoyed, but I, I love those unplanned, <laughs> unscripted moments. Um, you know, and <laughs> and I love when a guest is over-enthusiastic. I remember mm. we did a, a Robert Block Centennial episode, and I asked, you know, Stephen King and F. Paul Wilson and David Scow and other people who had, who had known Block, uh, you know, who, who Block had helped in their careers. I said, can you each give me you know, I don't want to have you all on because that's going to be a recording nightmare. But can you each give me a, a little statement I can read? And and they all did, you know, graciously. And then Wayne Allen Sally, whom I adore, he writes me like a 5,000 page essay. <laughs> and I'm like, wait, I can't I can't read this entire thing on the podcast. <laughs> but I, I loved I always love that sort of enthusiasm from a guest because you, know, when they are excited about being on the show, it makes you excited for being, you know, about them being on the show. Yeah, uh, I agree with that. Um, I, I guess so. The the thing that I thought of in, includes uh, a, someone who's typically a pretty enthusiastic person to talk to, which is Josh Mailerman. I remember the first time we had talked to him, it was 2014, not long after bird box had been released. So he was pretty new on the writing scene and um, like a mutual friend said, Hey, you, you need to read this. And and then we, we read it and reached out to him. But anyway, the conversation went pretty long, which anybody who's had a conversation with Josh will know is, is, is pretty standard. And then right around uh, midnight, um, the, the conversation just shifts to, um, it sounds like he's talking kind of farther away from the mic and you hear him say something like, you know, happy birthday, my love, or something like that. It was his partner's birthday when the clock struck midnight. And so he broke away from the conversation for a minute to, to like wish her a happy birthday. And it was a very loving moment and everything. And we're like, do you need to go? Like we're, we're now we're cutting in on her like birthday celebration time. So, um, yeah, those, those moments are nice because they're just, um, yeah, they add a little bit more like authenticity and they're like just genuine and cool. Um, like not as, I, I guess, sexy as like your, your waterless meth addicts again, but, um, but also I, I fully agree with, um, having an enthusiastic and you don't, if you don't, if you haven't spoken with the person before, sometimes you don't know what you're in for. Um, but I will say it, at least in my experience, and you guys can, you can, you can say uh, how it's been for you. Um, I've always found people to be m- more nervous to talk than I expect them to be, but also more excited to have the conversation than maybe I expect them to be. I think when I ask someone to do an interview with me, I'm, it's like they're doing me a favor, but like when the conversation starts, it's like, it's this fun thing we all get to do. So I've always, I've always more surprised in a good way than than I expect to be. I don't know if it's different for either of you. Well, I wonder in terms of a kind of counterpoint to that, I mean, has there been a point where you've got excited about an interview, you've prepared a lot, and it's just gone completely wrong? And what did you do to get <laughs> over that? I Well, I'll tell you, the, the closest I have to that is um, the last time I, I, we talked to Stephen Graham Jones set it up, set the time, do the call, get going. And he's like, I'm in a room in the dark because I've got this awful migraine. I've had it all day. And we're like, do you need to not do this right now? And he's like, Oh, I'll just push through it. But then the whole time I could tell that his answers were a little bit, you know, 
shorter than they otherwise would have been um, a little more to the point and less like less personality and more just getting it done. And I was like, why, why are we forcing this guy to do this right now? And I felt really bad about it. So I think that's the the one that's been the most unexpectedly off the rails. I mean, anytime we had author Christian Jensen on the show, it would go off the rails that because that's <laughs> to be expected with Christian. Um, and I adore him, but yeah, you, you couldn't plan for it, it was like having the entire cast of Jackass the movie there in the <laughs> studio with you, all in one person. And 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 I I love Christian, but and it made for great episodes, but you never knew what was going to happen. Um, but I, you know, we would get people who were nervous, and and the one rule I always had was we would never do interviews over Skype or over the phone. It always had to be in person. Um, and that's a rule that we stuck to right mm-hmm. up until the pandemic. You know, in our, in our fifth year, the pandemic made us change that. <laughs> but what I found is, you know, when you're in person, and, and at first, you know, we would go to conventions and we'd go to shows. But as the show got more popular, then, you know, publicists are reaching out to us. And, you know, my client can be at your home on this date. Are you available? And so it became a lot easier. And when they're there in person, like I, I often think back to, uh, to summer Cannon. She was a relatively new author at the time. Uh, I think she'd done maybe one other interview and, uh, I read her debut novel and I liked it. And I said, you know, I think she'd be fun to talk to. Um, so we, we had her come to the house and, and, and come on the show and she was extremely nervous. I mean, like she was, she was visibly shaking, uh, but within five minutes of, you know, being in front of the microphone and, and laughing with us and horsing around, you, you could see her relax. And I think it's one of the best, best interviews we've ever had on the show as a result. Um, and I always, I always liked watching that happen. I liked watching people relax and forget that they were doing an interview, um, you know, because yeah. that's when you get the real answers. That inspires two thoughts um, that I'm sure both of you are going to have have something to say about, um, and that is uh, when it comes to to the way that you format your your interviews. Uh, I'll, I'll give it. I'll give my example. Um, and and this even this episode we're recording right now is an example of that. I always like to have um, a bit of a warm up conversation before we actually go into the thing that we're discussing as much as possible for that exact reason that there's nerves and everything. Um, and, and becoming comfortable just having a conversation with the person that, you know, you have to be talking to, um, seemed to me to be a way to kind of get to that point where it's more comfortable. Part two of this is, um, I discovered often that, um, if we did an interview and then we were like, okay, thanks. We're done with the interview, but continued talking. That conversation always felt different and more comfortable. Not always. Sometimes became much more comfortable because I think someone in their head might be thinking, oh, this is an interview. I can't screw it up. But the moment they're, that that's gone, now they can just be themselves and they open up more. So um, any thought on either two of those parts, the the prep and the doing the warm up to kind of get things going or um, kind of the off off the record stuff seeming more comfortable yeah i mean in in our case 
there was off the record stuff that would come up, but I, I always, and, and Michael, you can attest when, when I had you on as a guest before anything ever gets turned on before the soundboard is powered up. I always look at them and I say, is there anything you don't want to talk about? Um, and you know, they, they might say, yeah, I don't want to talk about my divorce or I don't want to talk about this person. Um, sometimes they'd say no. And I'd have done my research and I'd say, okay, well, what about this that happened in 1993? And they, you know, they, they kind of have this deer in the headlights. Look, no, I don't want to talk about that. How do you know about that? We prepped, you know? Um, and I never, I never did that. Um, you know, I would put people on the spot if, if I thought it was required, but I, I would never, I never liked gotcha journalism, you know, I, um, and it's not what we were, it's not what we were trying to do. Um, but yeah, that, that, that's my thoughts. Yeah. Well, I do a similar thing where before we start recording, I'll say if there's anything that we asked that you'd rather we hadn't, or if you want to have anything edited out, then you have complete editorial control. And I find just telling the people that means that they're far more comfortable to go to the, those uncomfortable or those dark places because they know that if they, on reflection, want to cut it, then they can. And I mean, I would say in 95% of cases, people don't actually ask for it to be cut. But I think having that option to cut it, it just allows them to be looser and more authentic in terms of what they're saying. And I mean, I also preface it by saying, look, unlike traditional journalism, we are here to catch you looking good. That is what we're doing here with this interview. Um, I think to the other point you made, Rob, about people perhaps being more comfortable when you're not recording, there have been several instances where we've been having a great conversation before pressing record. I say, right, we're going to record now, ask a question, <laughs> and they almost freeze up. And it's like, hang on, yeah. you were talking so fucking much before. But I think then when you get 10 or so minutes into it, then, okay, they're starting to warm up. They're getting a vibe for this is horror and what we're doing and then the real good stuff comes out. And, I mean, there have been times where we've had the off-air conversation, then we've had the first 10 minutes of what was meant to be on-air, but then I cut that as well so we can just jump in with the good stuff when they're feeling relaxed and they're feeling natural. But I do think the secret really is giving them control, saying any of this can be cut. And... Mm. We've had some good stuff as a result of that. And I suppose tangentially related to that, in the first two years or so of This Is Horror, I didn't always go as far as perhaps I should. I was a little bit safer and more conservative with my interviews. But I think it was around the time that we interviewed David Moody for episode 100, and he just started opening up about mental health and depression and was so candid. And also, this was a live podcast, so there was no way that this was going to be edited <laughs> out. Yeah. But I thought, shit, we can go these places. And then from 
from then on, it was like, right, I'm almost looking for the the darkest moments and the bits of your life that was really tough and kind of finding how did you persevere? How are you still here? And Brian can probably attest to that because we did make you cry on air. It wasn't it wasn't yeah. the intention. It wasn't what we set no, out to do. Was- that was unscripted, unplanned, yeah. and totally organic. But, you know, bless you guys for getting that reaction out of me. I mean, that's a good interview. Um, yeah. You know, I, I don't recommend that the listeners start out saying, okay, I'm going to make every guest cry. Yeah. But if you can get that sort of emotional reaction, you know, you're getting you're getting something real. Yeah. I, always, I always look back on interview we did with Maurice brought us, uh, you know, Maurice is, uh, of course now he, he, he's one of the premier Afrofuturism authors. Um, but you know, Maurice has been one of my best friends for, oh gosh, I bet 20 years. And the episode where we had him on, what people didn't know is Maurice and I had been drinking all day. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, we recorded that at like nine o'clock at night, you know, in the studio and, it was really just an extension of a, of a conversation and hijinks we'd been having all day. Uh, and it got pretty raw. I mean, it, it's funny, but it also got very raw and very real. Um, I think if you really want to know he or I, who we are at our core, go back and listen to that episode. Cause we both genuinely forgot that we were recording, even though we were sitting in the studio even though the mics were right there in front of us and, and Mary and Dave and everybody else, we forgot for 90 minutes. And it was just, like I said, an extension of that conversation we'd been having all day anyway. You know, that's, that's incredible. And I, I don't think I've ever made it to maybe the, the level of profundity that you guys are talking about. But um, I, I think that to both of your points, creating, an environment where the person you're talking to feels comfortable and safe is a big part of that. So, well, yeah, I mean, you know, safe, safe spaces is a, a big buzzword these days, but it's very true in the, in the case of interviewing you, you want it to be a safe space for your, for your interviewee. Um, yeah. you know, otherwise they're, they're not going to give you real answers. Right. They're going to give you the, you know, KG responses. I think much like you, Michael, uh, when I was conducting interviews pre-interview, there was the the preface of saying, if you say anything and you want that cut, let me know, we'll cut it. Um, and also like uh, my joke was something like, you know, I edit heavily so I, I can, you know, even if you don't feel like you did a good job, I'm going to make us sound amazing or yeah. something <laughs> like that. Just to like, you know, um, give them like a peace of mind of like, I'm not going to put out something that doesn't make you sound like the you know, the best example of, of you talking. So, um, yeah, uh, huge. And, and Ryan, you mentioned gotcha journalism. Like I, I can't imagine. Yeah. If you're going into something where your idea is, um, I'm going to get this juicy moment. I, I don't think that you're in it for the right reasons at all, or, or you're in it for a very specific reason. That's not in the best interest of the person you're talking to, obviously. So, right. yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, now I'm all like, I'm inspired because we're, we care so much about the people that we're, that we're interviewing. Um, I, I, I had a general kind of, uh, when we were, when I, when I did the one about, um, reviewing books, 
we talked a lot about like the philosophy of, of reviews, like your philosophy of, of reviewing a book, which was kind of like if you could package up, um, you know, what you think an ideal example of that is into like a short explanation. Um, and so I thought maybe I'd see if there was kind of a philosophy. We've probably touched on a bunch of it already, but like if you guys had kind of a general philosophy of interviews um, that is, is kind of your guiding thing. Um, so for me, it was always like we were talking about, um, I want to uh, give this person an opportunity to talk about this thing that they're here to talk about. And I want them to be able to be as genuine and, and have it be a great experience um, as possible. And um, that was really kind of my guiding principle. But um, I don't know if there's anything that like you guys can add on or or any kind of big things that are fundamental to the way that you, you conduct interviews. Yeah. Michael, you want to go first? Yeah. Well, I would say, first of all, research heavily make sure that you know your guest be a good listener be prepared to follow up and to be spontaneous don't don't have this list of pre-prepared questions and think okay i'm just going to go through them go where the conversation goes much like when you're writing you have to go where the story goes and you can't really force that you have to go where the conversation goes and also, be inquisitive. Ask why. Go further. Keep trying to go deeper and find out what is at the core of this and what is at the core of this person. What are their philosophies? So listening, research, being inquisitive. If you've got all three of those things, you're going to do pretty well as a interviewer and as a conversationalist. I, I agree 100% every single one of those. Um, <laughs> I, I gotta tell you, as an interviewee, I hate it when it's clear they don't know a, a damn thing about me and they didn't bother to spend five minutes on Wikipedia trying to learn anything. Um, <laughs> and, and their questions will reflect that. You know, what was your first published book? If you don't know what my first published book was by now, I'm, I'm wasting my time on your show, you know, um, and I don't mean that to sound arrogant. I mean, I mean that because, you know, I've got a limited amount of time that I can grant the interviews. Um, I always think back. I had an interviewer once. It was after my novel Dark Hollow came out. And, uh, you know, she says, so so where did you get the idea for Dark Hollow? And I gave her an honest answer. I said, you know, my my second ex-wife and I lost three children. Uh, you know, we, we had three babies die and, and it came from that. And I thought for sure her follow-up would be, you know, something related to that. She wasn't listening to me. Her follow-up was, are you ever going to write another zombie novel? <laughs> Get the fuck out of here. Yeah. Um, you know, <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know, and after that, my answers became very short. And, you know, let's let's burn out the clock. Let's get it because I'd lost all interest as a guest. Um, you need to be engaging not just with your audience, but with your interview subject. Um, yeah. You know, and and like everything that Michael said is how you do that. And, and I think probably the most important part is the listening part. You know, it's it's a conversation. 
Yeah, and when yeah. you say about you know people looking you up at least on Wikipedia and having some rudimentary knowledge, I think another tip is if you can easily Google the answer, don't ask the question. If yes. you can take that as a guiding principle, you're probably going to ask pretty good questions. That's that's great. Uh, um, I hadn't thought about that, but that makes a lot of sense because. Um, what you're trying to do is you're trying to get to, to something deeper or, or I don't know if more profound is the right thing to say, but something like that. Uh, after your response, Michael, um, I have to follow up with, so I did, I looked up a list of like how to conduct a good like television interview or whatever. And I, I thought I'm going to, I'm going to bounce this off of what we, you know, what we've talked about. And there's five, there's five items on the list. Know your subject, prep your subject. So maybe we could talk about that. Well, we kind of did talk about that. Um, start slow was one of them. So I have thoughts about that. Use active listening and ask open-ended questions. So that last one sounds kind of obvious, like an interview where it's all yes or no questions is going to be pretty brief and probably not too, too enlightening. The knowing your subject and active listening, I think tie together very well because like, you know, uh, Brian, you could be talking about a book that, you know, you wrote and has a theme in it. And then if I knew a book that you wrote 10 years ago, that that reminds me of a thing that happened in this book, then I can bring that up and see if there's some sort of conversation to, to feel out of that. Absolutely. Um, and if I, if I hadn't, and I'm not saying, I mean, you've written so many books. I can't imagine someone trying to read the entire catalog if they were new to you, but like at least having, you know, when I would interview an author, my rule was I'm not going to interview anybody that, I have not read their work like, and, and even if it's just their most recent work or, or something, I, I felt like it was the least I could do was to try and understand them a bit before um, diving into, to interrogating them about, you know, about being a writer. Right. I'm curious about something. And, and here, this is the inherent danger of three interviewers interviewing, <laughs> uh, doing a podcast. We're going to start interviewing each other, but I'm curious if either of you, I know what my answer would be, but did either of you have any specific interviewers who inspired you or who maybe you, you learned from or took something from before you started doing this? Rob? Not, not in the least. No. I think that I'm always trying to get better as an interviewer so then I'm always listening to other interviews and seeing what I can learn from them and I mentioned him briefly before but the podcaster Tim Ferriss he has such a specific and analytical way of interviewing people that I'm always very inspired and kind of look at the way that he does things and it's like what questions is he asking but also what is he not asking? And often it can be that the reverse question to what you assume the obvious question is the better one. So if you ask, what is the best writing advice you can give? Well, there's so much good writing advice that you might now be paralyzed in terms of what you ask. But if you ask, what is you know, some bad writing advice? Now, that's a better question, particularly if you say some bad rather than the worst. Again, it's that, well, now I've got to start ranking things. There's too much going on in my mind. Or 
if you ask what is your favorite book, that's a lot of pressure. But if you ask what is the book that you have most gifted to other people, now you can probably answer that one. Right. But I think, too, just listening to the interviewers that are popular, whether or not you personally think they're good, then there must be something about them. So I think listening to Joe Rogan and seeing what is it that he's doing. Actually, if you analyze him, he very rarely asks the question. He just makes a lot of statements and listens and he can almost parrot what people have said to get more out of them. And whether you do or don't like him or fall somewhere in between, he will get his guests talking. And I think that probably comes down to that active listening and taking more of a less is more approach. I think from horror, someone who we can learn a tremendous amount from is Mick Garris. Because Mick yes. Garris, he's been doing this for decades. He's also very much in the film industry. He can get anyone on he wants to. He is a household name. And he's got an encyclopedic knowledge of the genre. And he knows how to conduct a good interview. So I think... Garris and Ferris, who almost rhyme, are probably the two people that I listen to the most in terms of just thinking, well, how can I improve my interviewing? Yeah. I, you know, it's it's interesting you bring up Joe Rogan. Um, you know, I'm, I'm a bit older than you. I'm 54. And, and for me, it was Howard Stern. Uh, and I know that today, Howard Stern, particularly some of his his shows from previous decades are problematic as hell. I acknowledge that he acknowledges <laughs> that. Mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, I was listening to him as a teenager before he even moved to New York and was syndicated. I was listening to him when he was in Washington, DC and just the morning drive DJ. But if you get past the fart jokes and the nudity and, and, and the frat boy humor, when he conducts an interview, it really is a conversation and he puts the guest at ease, be they an adult film actress or an Oscar winning actor. He, he treats them equally. He puts them at ease and he makes them, he makes them safe. And you hear it over and over and over again. Uh, over the decades, people are like, I can't believe I said that out loud on, on the air with him, you know? Um, and there's there's no doubt he was a huge influence on on my own interviewing and my own show because I I strived to do the same um, you know just with less fart jokes and you know less nudity <laughs> we did have some fart jokes and nudity but you know <laughs> yeah <laughs> well, I mean he, he really he really. Regard like you said about Rogan, whether you love him, hate him, or somewhere in between, it's the same with Stern. Whether you love him, hate him, or you're somewhere in between, he is a masterful interviewer. He, he he's one of the best of the 20th century. Yeah, yeah. Well, another from the podcasting world who I'd mention is Mark Marin of the WTF podcast. He's Another great one, a fantastic yeah. interviewer. And I mean, also, we, we can just go back and we can watch old David Letterman interviews. I mean, look at these <laughs> greats. They're greats for a reason. 
And again, it doesn't matter what your personal opinion is. They get their guests talking, and that's what this is about. Yeah, that's an excellent point. I think um, I get to expand on my my response, which was uh, not in the least. Uh, <laughs> I think that it's not that I never listen to people being interviewed. It's just I don't think I ever latched onto an individual enough to like look up to them or think of them as someone who is a you know craftsperson in this you know kind of thing. But what I will say is that um, because I had so little of a frame of reference of how to conduct a good interview. I think I scared myself into being much more careful and much more, uh, uh, you know, purposeful about the way that I conducted an interview so that, cause I didn't know where the bar was. So for me, I was like, I'm just gonna, I gotta, I gotta do everything I can. And so I think that, and you know, people who have listened to me interview people might have a different opinion, but I feel like I, I, I built up to the quality that I did because I was so scared and, and not having a frame of reference. I was so scared. I was going to do it poorly that I just like shot for the moon. Um, so hopefully that was helpful, but I mean, obviously in the, in the interim as podcasts have definitely exploded, you know, a decade after uh, doing mine. Uh, one thing I've noticed recently is that I'm noticing that um, some of the things I'm more interested in are, um, people in a profession interviewing other people in that profession. And, you know, with the pandemic happening, something that happens all the time now is like every celebrity has a podcast, but it's great to listen to a comedian interview a comedian or uh, uh, an actor interview another actor. And so um, I, I, I wonder if there's something to um, being in that profession or body of knowledge that makes it um you know, easier to be a person interviewing like a, a contemporary than it would be someone in an entirely different field. I don't know if there's any discussion in there, but that's something that I found recently is that I'm very satisfied with interviews that are conducted between kind of peers in the same profession. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think it adds an intimacy to it. And I think for the listener it can almost be a little bit like you're eavesdropping on a secret conversation and yeah i mean a comedian who's been interviewing other comedians is conan o'brien he's got a fantastic podcast and i just listened to his conversation with ricky gervais and i mean most comedians have been on that show you can just go to his (laughs) podcast and search for some of your favorite comedians and you're probably gonna gonna find them there and i mean i i think as well because we have to use a cliche this inside baseball it can be more comfortable for both the interviewer and the interviewee i suppose the only danger is make sure that you're not using such industry jargon that now the casual listener is like well i don't know what the fuck they're talking about but yeah it it does add that intimacy and again that authenticity so i mean it it's kind of tangential to researching your interviewee i mean just knowing a lot about that subject in general i imagine that if i started a podcast on accounting or medical science it might not be as interesting because i just don't have (laughs) that inside information Although maybe people would be addicted to it because it's like he is asking some mad questions. Why is he doing that? He doesn't have a clue. 
Yeah, it could have the yeah the reverse could be the the factor that draws people in. You're like, I'm the idiot that doesn't yeah. know anything about this, so people are telling me that that would be an interesting angle. Yeah, and the, the show's called <laughs> One Idiot and an Accountant. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to register that domain before yeah. uh, you have a chance yeah. to now. <laughs> Talking about questions in general, it came up earlier, just kind of, uh, I can't remember who said it, but like, um, and then, but also Brian, with your example of, of some dummy, you know, not asking a good follow-up question, but um, uh, from my perspective, I always prepared a list of questions that I thought this will cover the general things that I'd like to happen over the course of this interview, but I also never expected to get to all of them because, um, for me, one of my guiding principles was always like, um, the conversation's going to go like Michael, you said the conversation, if you know, should go the way that it naturally flows. So, um, I always thought it was nice to have a list of prepared questions, but, um, I, I, I never thought I'm nest. I have to get through each one of these because that could really kind of derail the conversation or, or make it feel less like flowing. Um, but the other part of it is I found that in a good conversation, if a good conversation flows well, the person almost always got to the next question before I did. Like, I don't know if you have any experience with that, but like if you're having a really good conversation and it's going, you know, great. And they say something and you follow up with this, I, I can't tell you how often for me, they would just bring me to, they would introduce the next question. I wouldn't even have to ask the question because they already introduced the topic. So um, what's your, what's your guys thoughts on um, preparing questions and how the conversation flows in general? My, my approach was exactly yours. You know, I, I would sit down, I wouldn't even write out full questions. I would just jot myself little shorthand reminders of, okay, let's start here. Let's guide the conversation to here. That flows into this. Um, but, you know, and I would refer to that if I needed to. But really, I'd see where the actual conversation was going to go. And, you know, if we got too far out in left field, I might slowly try to steer it back around. But but usually I just, I, I trusted my instincts and the interviewee's instincts, you know, and, and we just, we went where it went. Yeah, I think in terms of my approach, it's fairly similar in that I've got a lot of questions that are prepared if I need to call upon them, but then assuming that I might only ever need to use the first question and then the whole conversation will go from there. But as well as having the questions specific to the author, I do have some quick fire questions that I throw in at the end that Sometimes I will get a quick fire answer and that'll be that. And other times it will lead into some interesting places. But I mean, I typically begin a This Is Horror podcast conversation asking about early life lessons that the author had growing up. And it doesn't have to be related to writing. It can be anything and that can get us to some interesting places. But it really depends on the author that I have as to how that is received. If it's somebody who's got a lot of experience with these interviews, then they're probably going to be okay with that and they're going to give me something really interesting. 
But if it's someone who's perhaps a little bit more anxious, they might freeze up and be like, whoa, what the hell? That is quite a deep conversation starter. So actually what I've been doing recently is I've been modifying that a little bit. So I've taken something from their early life and just asked them about that. So we had Toby Harvard on, the writer of The Greasy Strangler and Come to Daddy. And one of the things he'd done in his childhood was take a picture of two monkeys in Bali. And that was his first kind of experience with photography. And I was like, well, let's talk a little bit about that. How did that happen? And I think because it's giving something specific and a little bit different from their life, they're immediately going to start opening up. So rather than having an absolutely general question that might lead to that paralysis, tell them something specific about their life and get them to talk about it. I think that's a great, that's a great adaptation because, and one of the things that I was going to talk about was, was the the idea of having questions that you kind of keep in all of your interviews versus guest specific ones. But um, you've given now two examples of, of taking what would be maybe a question that doesn't get a good answer and turning it into a more um, approachable way of, of posing a question. And I think that's fantastic. Um, and, 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 you know, inspires me to, to try and challenge myself more uh, when it comes to how do I ask a question? Because you're absolutely right. Like, you know, you could be asking the right question or introducing the right topic, but the way you say it might mm-hmm. just fall, fall flat yep. or something. So, yeah, that's a really good insight. Yeah. And I'm always experimenting. I'm always trying to get better. And so even though I've got these regular questions at the end in rotation, Often I'll throw a new one in almost as a test. Let's see how that works. And depending on how the guest reacts to it will depend on whether that is in rotation going forward. So it's all about just experimenting. And in fact, recently with the last two guests, I've decided to implement an emergency question. And that's kind of taken from Richard Herring, who's a comedian, And I'll just ask a really absurd question kind of related to their work and see what they will do. So I interviewed Keith Cooper, the writer of Anything for Jackson, which involves performing a reverse exorcism and Satanism. And so I just asked him what, for an emergency question, what is the nearest that you've come to performing a Satanic ritual? So it's just, these, it's just these silly questions to add a little bit of relief and comedy and I guess to show another side of my personality because, yeah, I, I'm very inquisitive and interested in philosophy, but I'm also just a little bit of a silly bastard who likes to make a joke. So I've been throwing that in. And so far, you know, these emergency questions have worked really well. Maybe if I get a kind of more stern author they'll be like why are you asking me that but so far so good and it's an experiment as I say and also one where I can kind of take it on a case-by-case basis and that again comes down to knowing the person you're interviewing for sure um 
I, I personally, going back to the idea of having questions that you have in kind of that carry through to multiple interviews, I, I think I always did guest specific ones. I don't, I think maybe in the beginning I had kind of more of a, a set, you know, kind of list of questions that, cause I, you know, I, I was new to interviewing, but I, I always did pretty much all guest specific. Brian, were you, uh, did you do, um, carry over questions from interview to interview or is it all guest specific? No, it was, I, I mean, you know, if you're interviewing a bunch of authors, there are going to be similar questions, but I always tried to stay guest specific. Uh, same with the actors, same with, you know, musicians, anybody else that, that we had on, I, I tried to stay specific to them. Um, what I found surprising was the similarity in their experiences and their answers. Um, you know, everyone has their own journey, but we're all kind of on this journey together, if that makes sense. Right on. And then I guess, Michael, from the time that you did, um, the same question interview to interview, was there any, uh, like, did you find any benefit from it? Was there something that you could, uh, like insight you could draw from it or something? Or do you think that there was something for the audience that they benefited from it? I'm getting granular on this. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, a lot of these questions, even though they are a repeated question, they're a question that would give a very personal answer. So, if I just every single episode asked what's the best writing advice you've got, that would get pretty repetitive. But if I asked what advice would you give to your 18-year-old self, yes, there will be some crossover, but often it will be a very unique and a very personal answer that can then benefit from follow-up. The same about what are your early life lessons, because everyone's had a unique experience, they're going to be drawing on their childhood and what they learned from it. So I think if you are to have a question in rotation, you want to make sure that that question is something that will give us a unique answer rather than, you know, because we're over 400 episodes now, it's like, oh... (laughs) Who's a writer who influenced right. you? Bloody hell, it's Stephen King again. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, we get it. Um, I can edit in you saying Brian Keene instead of Stephen King if you want me to do that. <laughs> Just give me a clean cut of that. And Well, I mean, everything <laughs> as per earlier, I'm assuming that I'm not allowed to give the answer as Rob Olson or Brian Keene because yeah, well. I, I would. <laughs> You know, for, for everything, when you ask like interviewers who inspire me, great writers, um, role models in general, but yeah, I've eliminated you both for the purpose of this conversation. That's actually you. You bring up King. That's one of my regrets in ending the show. And and there's not a day that goes by that. I'm not firm that I made the right decision in ending the show. I, I'm glad we did because it would I, I would be dead by now <laughs> if we hadn't. Uh, but it's bittersweet because there's a lot of stuff we could have still done, a lot of stuff I wanted to do. And one of those things is I would have loved to have had Steve on the air, and I, I think it would have happened. Um, there's no doubt in my mind it would have happened. And the questions I had, much like the Ketchum interview, it was going to be stuff that 
nobody ever asks him like you know what's it like for your grandkids to have Stephen fucking King as, as grandpa? You know, <laughs> stuff, like <that. laughs> stuff I want to know, you know, um, uh, some other, uh, my good friend, C Robert Cargill, uh, screenwriter for sinister, Dr. Strange, etc. never got a chance to have him on. Um, and it would have been a fun interview because it would have been like that interview with Maurice brought us. We would have forgotten we were recording a podcast. Um, you know, so I, I, I have regrets in that regard. I'm wondering if, if either of you have any regret. I mean, you know, obviously you're both still on the air, but has there ever <laughs> has there ever been a guest you had on and afterward you're like, oh, I blew that or, you know. Okay, well, my biggest regret is not asking Dallas Mayer to have a conversation sooner because I yeah. was speaking with Dallas and he was looking at coming on this as horror podcast, but then he got ill. And I just, I mean, he's pretty much my favorite writer, but much like Chuck, I kind of built it up and it's like, I, I need to kind of be prepared and to get this right. Right. And then like we were talking and we were potentially going to organize something, but then he, he was very ill, so he couldn't do it. And I think that reminds me of just how finite this life is. And so perhaps if you're waiting to do something, don't wait, because you don't know how long you've got. You don't know how long other people have got. So, you know, prepare to a point, obviously, but... <laughs> Do do ask, do invite that person on. Don't think, oh, I'll wait until I get this amount of listeners or this amount of episodes. You've got to shoot your shot and maybe you're going to get it. Maybe you're going to miss. But if you ask, if you make that move, then there's nothing to regret. And I mean, on on that note, I do want to get Stephen King on. I do want to reach <laughs> out to him. I, I think. I think you will have him on eventually. I, 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 I'm, I, I'm not speaking out of turn or out of school or anything like that. I don't know if he listens to your podcast or not, but uh, I mean, you know, this is horror. It really is the premier podcast for our genre, whether, whether you and Bob realize it or not. And I right. think you guys should certainly realize it. Um, yeah. I, I think sooner or later, everybody's going to pass through those doors. Yeah, yeah, I really appreciate that. And for, for some reason, maybe being British, like I'm, I'm deliberately suppressing my smile as you said that. It's like just, just that professional. But yeah, that means a hell of a lot for you to say that. And yeah, I, I think I'll have to take my own advice and reach out to Steve sooner rather than later. Uh, okay. And a thought about what you said, Michael, is... Um the, you know, taking your own advice and, and going for it is if you don't get the right answer the first time, that doesn't mean that's always the answer. So I, uh, I, I had an author, it's, it's, a he's a satire, satire, uh, author, Christopher Moore. Oh yeah. I saw him at, I saw him at a book signing one time and, um, apologies if you can hear <laughs> sirens in the background. I don't even, I, I don't know what's going on tonight, but there's just the whole town must be on fire yeah. or something. <laughs> Um, so I'm at a book signing one time, we casually mentioned, Hey, we do this podcast. Love to have you on. And he gave us that whole, like kind of shrug off, like, 
this is the least, this is the last thing on my mind right now kind of response, but like it was polite and everything. Um, and it never, you know, obviously it never came on, but then years later, reach out to him again. Like, Hey, why don't you come on and talk to you, talk about your new book? And it was like a yes. So just because you don't get the thing now, keep going for it. Like, you know, like if you, if Steven, you know, it's, it's a, it's a matter of time, like scheduling anything, um, is difficult. And the people that you're going for might just not, it might just not line up. Um, you know, there's, everybody has their own personal lives. I had, I had to push something about four months because someone lost someone in their, in their family, they lost their mother. And it was like, all right, well, we'll talk later because obviously you have bigger things going on. So the advice to anybody listening who, uh, you know, wants to, try to get that, that interview they've always been, they've always been dying for is like, just keep going because you never know, like when the, the planets will align and you're yeah. going to get the conversation. And, um, going back to kind of where this came from, the, do you have regrets thing? I will say that the last like six months of, of doing booked before we ended it was me just wish fulfilling was just me reaching out and trying to get anybody to talk to you that I hadn't that, um, I would feel bad if I didn't get that in before we closed it out. So um, I mentioned before Stephen Hall was absolutely, I don't know how much you guys, you know, are into Stephen Hall, but like for me, he was absolutely one of the conversations I wanted to have because um, I just wanted to, to, to pick the brain of the person who wrote that crazy fucking book. Right. And, and it happened. Um, there was one person who uh, he's a crime author, Will Christopher bear um, who has been out of the scene since like the early two thousands. So the only reason I even could try and reach out to him is because I know a friend of his and, and they're like, Hey, he says he's, you can email him. And I never heard back and it would have been nice, but like, this is a person who hasn't even written intentionally hasn't has chosen not to written in a long time. So like, that was one that was like, eh, it would be great, but I, I fully understand why it didn't happen. Um, so yeah, I hear you with that Stephen King mm. one. I, I, I got to imagine that that would be, well, Michael will have to have you on Brian so that you're part of that, <laughs> that episode instead. <laughs> there you go. Oh, no, I, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll ghost write some questions for you. Michael. Yeah. Although yeah. <laughs> well, no, I mean, I imagine that if you wanted to, you, you could just like come back for like a one-off episode with Stephen King because I, I've noticed in my podcast read that very occasionally the horror podcast does turn up again. I think you had one All on right. you, you guys want uh you guys want an exclusive that no one else in the world publicly knows yet? Yeah. I'm yeah. returning to podcasting later this year. Oh whoa fuck. that's <laughs> that's a scoop. That is uh, a scoop. It's gonna be something very different. From the horror show, I'm I'm not gonna say what is involved or what the idea is. I will say it's just me. Uh, it, it's almost unplugged. It's as unplugged as you can get with a podcast. Um, no co-hosts, barely an engineer, one microphone, <laughs> one person, uh, and uh, yeah, I'm I'm actually looking forward to that quite a bit. I can't wait to actually tell people what it is but i can't yet <laughs> i am excited awesome. and i think the whole writing community is gonna be buzzing with that uh, with that news <laughs> yeah phenomenal that's fantastic um we'll probably should start wrapping this up in the near future because of you know we got time constraints for for the evening but um 
I, I thought maybe we could give, because really like the, one of the reasons for this is so that people have just kind of an understanding of maybe some of the stuff that goes in interviews I didn't know about, but also like we're giving advice to people based on our experience so that they can maybe use that to um, make their own interviewing better. So do you guys have any kind of, uh, we, we've been peppering advice throughout, but any thoughts, any final thoughts about that for, for anybody who's, or resources maybe? Um, I know we gave the inspirational inter- interviewers as well, but anything else that we haven't maybe mentioned yet? Um, uh, yeah, I mean, all of the advice that we've peppered throughout is solid. Um, you know, Michael's rules are, are golden. Um, the only other thing I, I would say is, you know, uh, if you're conducting any sort of podcast or audio interview, obviously, you know, equipment is important. Um, you know, and, and take the time to research what you're getting into. You, you don't have to remortgage your house to buy a good recording setup, but you do need to buy a good recording setup. Um, you know, if you're interviewing in person, uh, it's the same as any other gig. Be professional, be punctual, be on time, you know, wear deodorant that day. <laughs> um, and, and remember that your interviewees are people. Uh, you know, Rob mentioned earlier, he, he had a guest who had lost somebody in their family. Things happen, particularly particularly here in the era of the pandemic. You know, there are going to be scheduling conflicts and you may be catching people on not their best day. And you've got to be able to have empathy, but also think on your feet and work around that, you know? Yeah, for sure. I think as well, if you want to start a podcast, then don't self-reject. Don't start making excuses as to why you can't do it. I mean, there's some people, you know, that, well, a lot of people, they say, oh, I don't like my voice or I don't like, you know, the, the way that I sound on the air. Or they'll say, oh, well, there's a lot of other podcasts out there anyway. But I think the fact that you are the voice, that is what makes it unique so it doesn't matter that there are other podcasts out there you are the unique ingredient just like when you're writing a story the fact that you are the person writing it makes it uniquely your own and also for years people have been saying oh you know podcasting has reached its peak so i'm too late i don't think it's reached its peak you're still probably early in the game (laughs) so Weirdly enough, when I started in 2013, I think Rob started in 2011, I thought I was late because it's like, God damn it, he's been doing it for two years. But, you know, now (laughs) I'm practically an original to the podcasting game. So if you've got something to say, if this is something you want to do, then do it. But also, as Brian says, do it right. Get the good audio equipment you don't have to spend a lot of money you can get a decent microphone for under a hundred dollars that is going to suffice but you do need to do that you do need to take all of those points on board in terms of research and knowing your subject and you know you need to stick at it but equally you can kind of trial this you can do it as a test you could record five interviews and see if it works for you. And if it doesn't work right. for you, okay, 
you don't know, but you have you have an answer, and it's better to do these things rather than to get to our deathbed and start regretting and asking what if, what if we had done that? Well, don't ask what if. Start your podcast today. <laughs> Beautiful. Um, something I thought of while we were talking or while you guys were giving your answers is um, just in general, uh, I, I worry that someone would make the mistake of like the the interview relationship is from when you start the interview to when you end it. And honestly, it's so much bigger than that because um, you have to make an initial contact with someone. You have to, um, you know, request an interview or accept one if, you know, the, the you know, they're soliciting to you. Uh, you have to do all of the scheduling, you know, and, and all the logistics of it. And then, you know, you get to the interview. But then after the interview, you know, you've got, uh, I mean, depending on, on, on how you, you've set your expectations, maybe you have to let them know when the interview is available and, and so that they can publicize it and stuff. So like your interview relationship with someone is is much bigger and the more professional and the more, um, uh, you know, nice, I guess, for lack of a better word you are, the better everything is going to go. Um, uh, I I, I have kind of a, a form that I, I, I go through when I'm like reaching out to someone I don't know. Um, but then uh, for guests on my podcast, I wrote up a whole sheet, which I didn't share with you guys because you guys are consummate professionals and you didn't need this information. But typically I have a, a like a PDF I send out that explains this is the service I use. And this is how it works. Um, here's here's advice for for mitigating audio problems and like, you know, did to this so that when you get to me, um, you're as prepared as you can be. Right. And, and so I would say that, um, treat people like they're people, they're not someone who owes you something, treat them, treat them like they're, they're, they're people in your life, uh, from, from start to finish, because you're building a relationship and you never know where that's going to take you as well. Um, so I'd say that's a really important thing too, is, is treating people with, with respect from the very first moment of contact until, you know, that interview has kind of run its course, uh, you know, and published wherever it's going to publish and everything. Agreed. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And even beyond the interview, you know, following up, thanking them, showing yeah. them the interview on socials and keeping that relationship going. You don't want them to feel kind of used. It's like, oh, well, I just needed you for that interview. And that's that. Yeah. I think one of the just thoughts that randomly jumped in my mind was that like one of the most satisfying things is when I have talked to someone, um, getting contacted later saying, you know, oh, it was a great conversation, mm -hmm. a great time, or oh, I listened to that later, and I'm, you know, I, I it was wonderful, you know, you made me sound so much better than I thought I sounded, or or something like that. Uh, that's really gratifying. I actually got an email from one of David Duchovny's managers saying. Hey, thank you so much. He, you know, he really enjoyed the conversation and he felt like he could really be open and everything. So like when you do things right and you really, you have the empathy, um, you have, you know, the proper setup and you're very professional about how you do it. Like they, you know, they appreciate it. Mm. And, and, you know, I, I, I got so many people contacting me that are fans of his saying, Oh, thank you so much for this conversation and stuff. So, um, you do the things right and it's going to be a rewarding experience for you as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, before we close out, 
you guys have anything you want to uh, plug, any projects, upcoming uh, releases, or um, just tell tell people in general your contacts or, or, or whatever? Go ahead, Michael. Well, if people want to read my fiction, then there's the girl in the video, and there's also They're Watching, which I co-wrote with Bob Pastorella. He's the other host of This Is Horror Podcast. And if you want to hear... Many conversations with masters of horror, such as Brian Keane, Rob Olson, also Joe R. Lansdale, Chuck Paulini, <laughs> Adam Neville. I'm not going to list all of them. Then it's This Is Horror Podcast, and we're available where all good podcasts are found, and where some bad podcasts are found too. You can get it. This Is Horror Podcast. <laughs> uh, let's see. what What's new for me? Um, Terminal. It was my second published novel back in 2004, and uh, I didn't own the rights to it until this year. I finally got the rights back and uh, released a, a new edition. It's it's an edition that they uh, Random House made me cut out a lot of material so that Walmart would carry the book uh, back in 2004. So I was able to to put all of that religious material back into the novel, and it's available now in paperback and ebook and audiobook. Um, and I do still podcast, but it's not an interview show. It's Defenders Dialogue. Uh, every week, it's just author Christopher Golden and I geeking out about 1970s comic books for an hour. Um, and that's available wherever you listen to podcasts. Awesome. Very cool. Well, um, I want to thank both of you. I, I love doing these kind of deep dives into specific topics. And while we were talking about this, especially toward the advice at the end, I had a thought in my head where I was like, God damn it. Now I have to do one about podcasts. So, um, you know, uh, maybe that'll happen in the future as well. But anyway. Let's do it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, we'll just do the same group. We'll just get back and we'll talk specifically about podcasting. But um, thanks so much for taking the time. I really appreciate it. And I, and I, I hope that um, our listeners val- uh, benefit from the value advice as, valuable advice as much as, as I definitely have. So thank you. Well, thanks for having All us. All right. Thank you. All right, that's going to do it for our interview episode with me and Brian Keene and Michael David Wilson. Thanks for checking it out. Uh, excellent discussion about the art of conducting an interview, and I had a great time. I hope you did as well. Thanks again for listening. Bye. All right, what a fantastic conversation about interviews with Michael David Wilson and Brian Keene. Um, they're just so fun to talk to, and they brought just a wealth of knowledge to 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 the conversation. Um, and it really kind of reinforced a lot of the stuff that I had already kind of been doing uh, and, and made me feel like I was on the right track. Uh, so great conversation. Really thankful for, for the time I had uh, with them. And um, looking forward, there are two more Lit Reactor uh, episodes that I'm going to be posting up here on Arc Party. One is about grammar, and the other is a 10-year Lit Reactor kind of retrospective that I'm going to close out this series with. Beyond that, in the beginning of January, I will be posting our first of two 2024 horror preview episodes. So the episode that I recorded recently with Becky Spratbird and Emily Hughes looks at January through June. And then um, sometime in the middle of the year, they're going to join me again. And we're going to record another episode where we look at what we're excited about for July through the end of the year. 
great conversation. It went pretty long, but we talked about dozens, and, and I'm talking literally dozens of books. So uh, definitely check that one out if you're looking for some good reads in the first half of 2024. I've talked enough. I'm going to let you guys go. Thank you, as always, for supporting me. And uh, we will be back soon with a ton of great content.